Paul Revere's famous midnight ride happened on April 18th, 1775. And the colonists had been watching uh, to see what the British Army was up to. They were watching the movements of the British Army to see if uh, perhaps an attack uh, was imminent. And uh, there was Paul Revere and there, were, there was William Dawes, uh, two men who had devised this plan for how they were going to alert the other colonists if it appeared uh, that British aggression was about to begin. And so there was a church uh, near the Charles River called the Old church or uh yeah the the old church the old north church it was called and the church is still there although that steeple is not original it's been replaced twice uh, but the church is still there in boston uh, and the plan was for the church sexton uh, to alert revere and dawes about whether the british were coming and if they were coming was it going to be by land or by sea two lanterns uh, in the church steeple if they were going to come across the charles river by sea and one lantern if they were going to come uh, by land uh, down what they call a boston neck which i'll show you in a second uh, so that's the way they were going to come and so this is what it would have looked like from the church steeple, uh, except that all those other buildings weren't there, of course. Uh, the church was there. Uh, but if you were in the church steeple, you could get a look to see what the British troops were doing uh, along the coast there. Uh, and Boston Neck, if you will uh, take a look on this map here, this is Boston up in this little piece of land here. This is Boston Neck coming out. So they could have come either by sea across the Charles River, or they could have walked down and around uh, and then uh, began their attack that way. So as the British began to mobilize, the, the sexton put two uh, lamps in the steeple, uh, and so they knew that they were coming across the sea. And so Paul Revere, uh, he rode to the north. Uh, this green line, uh, this blue line follows his route, where he goes up through Charleston and around this way toward Lexington, whereas uh, William Dawes took the southern route around through Roxbury, Brookline, and through Cambridge uh, to alert the people uh, that the British were in fact coming. So uh, Revere goes to Charlestown, he notifies the colonists, then the colonists dispatch other riders uh, to other places so that the people knew that the British were on the way. And when Paul Revere reached uh, Lexington, he met there with Samuel Adams and John Hancock, who were uh, two prime targets of the British Army. They really wanted to capture those two guys. So Revere uh, met with them to discuss strategy. And then from there, they sent out other riders to other towns to notify other people about what was going to happen, while Revere then continued on towards Concord. Now, Revere was arrested before he reached Concord. Uh, they released him a couple days later, but he didn't make it to Concord. But the other riders who were dispatched did make it to Concord. And so all of the folks who were in the line of the, of the British sites uh, were alerted and notified because of what uh, Revere and William Dawes did. And in addition to what Dawes and, and Revere did riding their horses, there was this a system in place of uh, bells and banging of drums and bonfires and a trumpet that was used uh, for rapid communication from village to village. So uh, by the time the British colonists or the British army even was unloading their boats, uh, all the people from village to village to village knew what was going on because of the system of bells and, and trumpets and things that were going on. Uh, but because Revere was sent by the sexton of the church, uh, they were able to deliver this news of danger to people who heeded the warning uh, and responded rightly, uh, they were able to mount a successful defense. And I tell you this story because that parallels evangelism and missions in a lot of ways, doesn't it? 
Uh, first, there is a message. There has to be a message. The content of the message is of great importance. The British are coming. The British are coming. That's a message of life and death, right? And so uh, Paul, uh, Paul Revere uh, preached that message, uh, and he was able to tell them which way they were coming so they would be better prepared uh, to, uh, to, to defend themselves. And so the message was of supreme importance. The messenger is of supreme importance. He's got to be telling the truth. He's got to have accurate information. There has to be someone to hear. There has to be an audience who can hear this message and then prepare uh, to defend themselves. The, the audience has to believe the message. And, and if they believe the message, they'll respond and they'll need to respond properly. And so uh, if any of those things hadn't happened during Paul Revere's ride, well, we might not have a USA today. Uh, the course of the war might have been completely different had that not happened the way it did. But those hearing the message, uh, they believed uh, the messenger, and they believed the content of the message, and they responded by preparing for battle. Uh, and so it's not a coincidence that I'm preaching a message this week about evangelism uh, and missions, and it just so happens that next week we're going to be hearing uh, from our ministry partners uh, locally and around the globe. We planned it this way so we could discuss uh, the importance uh, and the relevance and the necessity of evangelism and missions, uh, and then next week we will celebrate our ministry partners, uh, both locally and around the world, who do this work of evangelism uh, everywhere that, 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 that God has placed them. Uh, so we'll look at our passage, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. Um, Romans 10, 14, and 15. How then are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? Uh, but how are they to preach unless they are sent, just as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So to have effective evangelism, uh, we need at least five things. Uh, evangelism requires a message. It requires a messenger. It requires an audience. It requires belief in Jesus, and then it requires calling on his name. And so remove any one of these elements, uh, and evangelism is not going to be effective. It breaks down somewhere if one of those pieces are missing, just like Paul Revere's ride would have failed if any one of those pieces were missing from him. Uh, so Paul lists these, uh, the, these essential elements uh, in reverse order, uh, each one dependent on the one before it. Uh, they can't call if they don't believe. They can't believe if they haven't heard. They can't hear unless a messenger preaches. A preacher can't preach unless he's sent, uh, and the messenger must be sent with good news. So uh, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to reverse the order and talk about them sequentially. Uh, so the first thing we'll talk about is the content of the message, as we see from verse 15. Uh, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Uh, so the content of the message, the importance of the message, uh, that is what's paramount. So <clears throat> suppose uh, the sexton of the North Church had gotten it wrong. Uh, suppose he uh, looked around and he, he misinterpreted what he saw and the British came by land rather than by sea. Uh, that would have been disastrous. Uh, what if he got the information wrong and the British, uh, he thought the British weren't coming at all, when in fact they were coming? 
so the results could have been disastrous. The British army could have uh, caught the colonists by surprise. Uh, and, and the British army would then have had the upper hand and the course of the war might have been completely different if things had happened that way. So the truth uh, of the content of the message is key. And in the same way, an evangelist has to have the right message, the truthful message. Uh, an, an evangelist who, who goes about proclaiming a false gospel is still leading people directly to hell. Paul quoted from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, uh, with this verse here, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Uh, Isaiah was talking about the freedom uh, from captivity in Babylon, but Paul takes that verse and now applies it to freedom uh, from the penalty of sin that we deserve, that Jesus Christ took on our behalf. And that's the good news of the gospel. Uh, the, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sins and then he rose from the dead. And that's the good news, that we have to believe to be saved. And so we have to admit that we're sinners. We have to admit that we are in need of a Savior. And we have to believe and repent of our sins, and then we'll be saved. And as we talked about last week, uh, this gospel is so simple that anyone can understand it. And it's accessible to everyone, no matter who they are or no matter what they have done. But the simplicity of the gospel can be a stumbling block to people who think, you know, it's just too easy. Uh, surely I have to do something in order to be saved. It can't be that easy. Just believe and be saved. And the answer is no. You don't have to do anything to, to be saved. You simply have to believe. Uh, and all you have to believe is that Jesus Christ died for your sin and rose from the dead. And because you're a sinner, you place your faith in him and you are saved. But one of the hardest things to do is to overcome this belief or, or this thought that, that we have to do something in our own power to get this salvation. Uh, but it's not, that's not what the gospel is. We don't have to do the striving and struggling. Jesus has already died on the cross. Uh, and he's done everything that we need to be saved already. So people can get themselves confused and, and trip themselves up about, uh, do I have to do more? Are there a bunch of things I have to do? And the answer is no. You just have to place your faith in Jesus and you'll be saved. That's the gospel message. Uh, but people can be confused just by their own thinking. And then if that weren't bad enough, uh, there are plenty of false preachers out there who are preaching all different kinds of gospels that confuse people and lead people astray. Uh, some of them preach that uh, God will bless you uh, if you give money to their ministry. Just call the number on the screen and send $1,000 and you will be saved. Hallelujah. Amen. That happens, right? If you watch TV, uh, you'll see televangelists preaching that message. That preacher is a charlatan. He's a sheep in wolves' clothing, and he's preaching a false gospel. Uh, other preachers say that you're not saved unless you have some kind of spiritual experience, and that happens after your salvation, like you need a, a, another anointing where you start to speak in tongues or something like that to, in order to be saved. And that also is a false message. We learned last week that if you confess with your mouth uh, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. There's nothing that follows that, that, that stamps you. You get the Holy Spirit when you make that confession, not some time later. So anyone who preaches otherwise is a false preacher. There are preachers 
who teach that some of the Word of God is inspired, but not all of it. And then they tell you which are the inspired parts, and they lead you where they want you to go, and they tell you to reject these other parts. That's also a false gospel. Uh, all of the Word of God is inspired and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Other preachers preach a message called universalism. God is a God of love, and even though we sin, we don't have to worry because in the end, God is love and everybody will be saved. Well, that's not biblical either. And I could go on and on uh, talking about all the different false gospels that are being preached uh, in churches around our country. There's no shortage of false messages, but there is only one true message that is the hope of our salvation. The content of the only true gospel is that Jesus Christ, God became a man, and he took on the penalty for our sins for himself on himself so that we could be saved, and the one who trusts in Jesus for salvation will be saved. So the content of the message is absolutely paramount. We have to get that right. Effective evangelism also requires a messenger. And how are they to hear without a preacher? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So the messenger, let's focus on the messenger, the people carrying the good news. What if uh, the people uh, saw Paul Revere coming, but they knew that he was a drunk and he was a cheat and he was a well-known liar? Uh, what if they knew that about him? Well, they would not likely have believed his message, right? Uh, and the militia might not have believed him and they might not have responded. And so that's why the character of the person delivering the message is so important. Now, we're all sinners. We all will blow it from time to time. But it's very important. If, if evangelism is going to be effective by our mouths, uh, there can't be anything in our lives that is going to hinder uh, the message. Because if people don't believe the messenger, they're not going to believe the message. Uh, the boy who cried wolf was telling the truth the third time, right? Uh, but by then, it was too late. He had already established uh, that he was a liar, and people didn't believe him. Uh, so if no one is listening, uh, we're not going to be able to do any effective evangelism. We're not going to bear fruit in, our in other people's lives if our lives are inconsistent with the message we preach. So uh, think about uh, Isaiah. Uh, Paul borrowed this, uh, this verse here, verse 15, from Isaiah 52.7, as I said. And, and Isaiah's commission uh, to, to be a prophet is one of the most famous and startling and striking passages of the whole Old Testament, right? I, Isaiah had this vision of the living God uh, and the glory that surrounded him. And he said, Woe to me, uh, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen uh, the King of glory, the Lord of hosts. Well, God called that man, Isaiah, to preach the word of God. And Isaiah said, how long? How long, Lord? And God said, you will continually preach to a people who will not believe. They will not believe. How disheartening, how discouraging to know that your ministry is going to bear no fruit, and yet you go out and you have to preach this word day after day. Uh, as tradition holds, King Manasseh had Isaiah sawn in two. Think about that. Sawn in two uh, for preaching this message that King Manasseh apparently no longer uh, wanted to hear. Uh, so that 
is a true prophet. Isaiah's faithfulness made him uh, a man uh, who could be believed, who could be obeyed, who could be trusted. And Paul, too, received a memorable commission. You'll remember Acts chapter 9, where Paul's on the road to Damascus, and he's knocked off his horse uh, by seeing the risen Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and, and he uh, is blinded by this, this vision, and he's told how much he must suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul abandoned everything that he thought was important and, and fulfilled his commission to preach the word of God, and as tradition holds, he was beheaded under Nero in about 67 AD. And so Isaiah and Paul both modeled this truth. And, and our lives need to model the truth of the message that we preach too. If our message is going to be trusted, we have to model the truth that we preach. And so effective evangelism requires the right message and a faithful messenger. It also requires an audience. How are they to believe in whom they haven't heard. So suppose Paul Revere rode all night shouting this message, the British are coming, the British are coming, and there was nobody within uh, shouting distance that would have heard him. Well, things might have turned out a lot differently. But thankfully, there were people there who were uh, paying attention, who were listening to that message. Now, we live in a world that is literally full of people who don't know who Jesus Christ is, and they don't know what the gospel is. They've heard the word gospel, but they don't know what it means. And so they don't know how to get to heaven. They don't want to go to hell. Uh, they hope they won't go to hell, but they don't know how to avoid it because they don't know the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus called these people the harvest. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, he said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So the harvest is plentiful. Uh, the need for evangelism and the need for missions is so great because the harvest is so plentiful, because there are so many lost people in the world. Uh, last weekend, I participated in this online uh, Zoom conference for uh, aspiring authors. Uh, and 17 authors uh, submitted their books to this panel of experts uh, who read the books and uh, at least skimmed the books, and, and they were to offer advice. Uh, you know, is, can, can you improve your book like this? Uh, or if your book is in pretty good shape, but you know, here's how you go about marketing it. And what the uh, authors did was they submitted a biography uh, beforehand and the reason for why they wrote the book uh, before the conference began. And so uh, I was taking part in this thing. Now, uh, you and I, we probably spend most of our time around Christians these days, right? We spend most of our time around fellow brothers and sisters. And that's a good thing. We should be together. We should be building each other up, encouraging each other, because uh, life is pretty hard. Uh, but we cannot neglect that there are also people out there who just have no idea about what the truth is about who Jesus Christ is. And they're going to spend eternity in hell because they don't know Jesus Christ. And this seminar, this conference that I uh, attended, was just a, a blinding wake-up call to me about how lost the world is. So I just want to give you a sampling of some of the people who attended this conference uh, in their own words. There was a woman there who uh, thought that she was on her deathbed. She, she thought she was going to die. She was so sick. And then she heard angels say to her, we can help you heal. 
and then they sent waves of healing energy through her body. And now she calls herself a medium, a spiritual coach, a channeler, a meditation leader, and an energy healer. And she's written a book about how to be healed by the power of positive energy flow in which you will learn to align and balance your energy to the frequency of love. There was a woman who called herself the psychic bartender, and her book is about how astrology, karma, and physics brought her through a very difficult childhood, and her book is about her life and how she did it her way. And there was a man who wrote a book about awakening the soul of power. He says that he's a sought-after spiritual teacher, personal transformational coach, and a leading voice in the breathwork community. Uh, breathwork is a new age term for various breathing practices and meditations uh, that, that you can do to influence your mental and spiritual and physical state. And he's traveled the world, uh, offering inspiring and transformational retreats combining psychological and spiritual teachings with long-lasting and life-changing effects. Now, these are just a few. Uh, I could go on, and I'm not making fun of these people. I am not making fun of them. Uh, these people, they just either haven't heard the truth or they have not believed it. And as I listened, I was really sad. These people are well-educated. Uh, some of them had PhDs. Uh, they have jobs. They have families. They look just like us. They're very passionate. They really, truly, sincerely believe the things that they wrote. They spent hours and hours and hours writing their books, investing their time, investing their money in things that they think will help other people. And so they understand that there is something missing in their life. They understand that, that there is pain in the world and that people are searching for something. They just don't know what it is. And so they're clinging to these things that, that are, are not truth, that are only going to lead them to further sadness and sorrow and depression and ultimately to, to destruction. And so they're trying to fill their lives with anything and everything that you can think of. And in some ways, they're so close to being saved because they know, they know there's something missing and, and they're just desperately searching for what it is. And yet they're so lost because they're searching and grasping and putting their hope in the wrong things because their hope is in something other than Jesus Christ for their salvation. And these people are not outliers. They're not like, you know, the three or four kooky people in the world, right? These people are just like everyone else that we might meet in, in Walmart or, or across the street from us, anywhere. These people live in and among us. Ask 10 people on the street who Jesus is or how they can know that they are going to heaven, and you'll get 10 different answers. So there will never be the lack of an audience for us to preach the gospel to. Uh, you can find these people everywhere. They're on the other side of the globe where some of our missionary partners are, and they're in our neighborhoods uh, right around where we live. And so that is why Jesus said the field is ripe for harvest. They have to hear the word. Now, as Christians, our mission is to go, and our mission is to send. Now, many of you have gone on mission trips. You've been in the field. You, you've, you've preached the gospel to people who barely speak the language or don't speak the language at all. Uh, some of you maybe haven't gone, but you've given money. You've sent uh, other people to the mission field. Uh, and, and some of you have done both. You've gone and you've sent. 
Uh, but when you give to this church, you give to missions because we believe in saving souls near and far. So we are hanging our lanterns in the steeple and we are sending out messengers because of our missionary program. And we are sending out missions into the field because Jesus said the field is ripe for harvest. Jesus continued in Matthew chapter 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And that's who our missionaries are. They're workers that we are sending out into the harvest. Uh, these are people who love the Lord, who have a real heart for the lost, who have given their lives to this missionary work. And we support them because we believe in the work that they do. And they believe, as we do, that unless they hear the word and unless they believe, they are going to spend eternity apart from Jesus, eternally lost. And we'll be hearing from each one of them next week. So effective evangelism requires the right message, uh, a messenger, and an audience. And next, it requires belief. How are they to believe in him who they have not heard? Now, let's, just, let's assume Paul Revere rode all night, uh, warning everyone but th that the British were coming, but they just didn't believe the message. They just said, ah, Revere, he's crazy. We're not going to listen to that message. Well, what do you think would have happened? Well, probably they would not have been prepared for battle. And the British would have won the, the, the battles of Lexington and Concord, and, and the war may have been over quickly, and we might still be flying the Union Jack instead of flying Old Glory uh, in our country today. So thank God people were there to hear the message and believed it. Well, now it's at this point that we run into this paradox that we keep running into again and again over God's sovereignty and our responsibility to believe. Yes, God is sovereign. And yes, God chooses who is going to believe. And at the same time, if we are going to be saved, we must acknowledge that we are sinners and we must make a decision to believe. And you can see this so clearly in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, where uh, Jesus was weeping over the city of Jerusalem, saying, uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who, sent, who are sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you uh, as children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. So yes, God elects who are his, and, and at the same time, listen to the anguish in Jesus's voice as he weeps and cries and laments over those who refuse to believe. Well, Jesus was anguished over the Jews. Paul was anguished over the fate of the Jews. Uh, we have anguish over our lost friends and family. Uh, and so we have to pray that they believe. There's only so much that we can do as evangelists, right? We, we can preach the word. Our job is to preach the gospel. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who does the converting. Uh, he is the one who regenerates hearts and takes these rebellious hearts of stone who, who want to live a life in hostility against God and turn them into hearts of flesh that want to be obedient to God and receive uh, the word of God and believe. So uh, let's not take too much on ourselves as evangelists, our job is to preach the word. We don't have to worry if we don't have all the answers. We're not going to have all the answers. Uh, but our job is just to preach the message and let the Holy Spirit do the work. Don't feel ashamed or rejected uh, if they reject our message because they're really, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting our message and they're rejecting the one who sent it, uh, God himself. So we can't make anyone believe, and we're not responsible if they don't. Our responsibility is just to preach the gospel. 
Paul wrote in the beginning of chapter 9 and chapter 10 of Romans uh, how, he, uh, how his heart ached for these Jews who would not believe, how he would gladly trade his own salvation uh, for theirs uh, if they would only believe and if he could do that. But of course, we can't do that. Everyone has to believe for himself or herself, and, and we can't make that happen. Only the Holy Spirit can make that happen. So that's what evangelism is. We do our part. Our part is to preach the word, and then we pray, and then we trust the Holy Spirit to do his part uh, to make disciples. Uh, for those who believe, as John wrote in his gospel, they have crossed from death to life. That's not just today. That's for all time. They have crossed from death to life. They are saved by the content of the gospel message. And if you ask the man in the street what he believes about God uh, or uh, who Jesus is or how you get to heaven, uh, you may get a blank stare or you might get some kind of strange answer uh, because most people will say, yes, I believe in God. Well, even Satan believes in God, right? That's not enough to get us to heaven. Just a, a, a belief in God is not enough. I've heard it said so many times, uh, you know, people uh, think, uh, you know, is the person I love in heaven? Uh, and then the, the, the question is, well, did they believe in God? Well, that's not the right question. The question is, did they trust Jesus as their savior? And so belief means that we acknowledge that we're sinners and that we need a savior and that Jesus Christ is that savior and we've placed our faith in him. So it's more than just an abstract belief in God. As I said, Satan knows that. We have to put our trust in him. And so that's the message that we want people to believe, the gospel of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, we need a message. We need a messenger. We need an audience. We need belief. And then the last thing we need is calling. How then are they to call on him whom they have not believed? What if the colonists did nothing when they heard Paul Revere's message? They, they heard him, they believed him, and then they went home and turned on their televisions. What, what if they did that? If they did that, well, again, the war might have been over quickly. They would not have been prepared for battle. But thankfully, they did believe the message, and, and belief in the message then requires a response. And their response was to prepare for battle. Uh, saving faith requires a response too. Uh, we believe in the Lord and then we call on him, uh, believe in him. Uh, Paul separated calling and belief here in verse 14. Uh, so what we do with this knowledge that we now have is important. We believe the gospel and then we call on his name. Uh, you've probably heard this called the sinner's prayer. We believe in our hearts, we confess with our mouths, and the confession, the sinner's prayer, uh, goes something like this. Uh, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner who has broken your laws, violated your commandments. I know I'm uh, worthy of judgment. I, I know that I'm worthy to be sent to hell, but I ask you for forgiveness, and I, I praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for my sins, and I place my faith in him and my trust in him for salvation. Uh, will you save me? Uh, and God has never, ever refuse that prayer. That is always an effective prayer. But that's belief plus calling. Uh, and so uh, most of you have prayed something similar to that a long time ago in your lives. Uh, and if there's anyone hearing my voice right now who has not yet uh, prayed that sinner's prayer, uh, I just pray that today is the day, that, that today you're going to hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit is going to do a work in you and you will be saved. Our goal and missions is to lead as many people to Christ as we possibly can. Okay, so we need a message. We need a messenger. We need an audience. 
Uh, we need faith, we need belief, and we need to call on the name of the Lord. So let's talk about some applications. The first one is this. We don't need a conversion to have evangelized, right? We understand that. Um, we'd love a conversion every time we evangelized. We'd love every time we spoke the name of Jesus for somebody to fall down on their knees and praise the Lord because they've been saved. But that's not going to happen every time. Uh, but we, what we want to do is we want to move the needle, right, towards salvation. In some way, we want to move the needle. I had someone show it to me graphically like this one time. Uh, let's say that salvation happens at the end of this timeline over here, and somebody finds themselves all the way under over here in unbelief. If you can move the needle from here to here, or here to here, or here to here, that's a good thing. We're moving them closer and closer to salvation, less hostile uh, to God. And so we may not get them all the way from where they are to salvation, but if we move them closer, even that is a good thing in evangelism. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 38, I sent you to reap that for which you have not worked for. Uh, others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefit of their labor. So sometimes, uh, you know, we have done some of the good work and we've moved people, you know, all the way from, from here and we've brought them right to the doorstep and then somebody else gets to make the, make the conversion. And you're like, <laughs> I wanted that conversion. But that's not the way we should be thinking about things. We should be thinking about just moving the needle uh, a little bit. Because other times, somebody else has done that hard work and they've moved them all the way from unbelief to the doorstep of salvation. And then God gives us the privilege of actually leading that person to Christ. Sometimes we may not move the needle at all. Uh, sometimes people are so hardened and hostile that, that we're just not going to make any impact on them. Uh, remember, this is the Holy Spirit's work, uh, but we don't have to do the Holy Spirit's work, and we don't have to worry about what work the Holy Spirit is going to do. We pray for that, but our job is simply to evangelize. And so we do it, and we commission our missionaries to do that as well. So we don't need uh, to get a conversion to have evangelized. Secondly, uh, keep giving. You know, we are so thankful for your generosity at Grace Redeemer Community Church. Uh, you guys are amazing and, and how much you give and, and your faithfulness to this ministry. Uh, we believe in the Great Commission here. Uh, we believe uh, that that is our mission, to go and do what Jesus told us to do. And so the more we give to the church, the more we as a church can give to missions. And, and the percentage uh, that we allocate of our budget toward missions has increased every year. And now we're over 15%, over 15% of our budget is going to missions. That's one in every six and a half dollars that we collect goes out to missions so that this gospel can be proclaimed far and wide. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And that's what our missionaries do. And so each one has a unique opportunity to share the gospel with people that we're never going to meet, people around the world, people in places that you'll hear about next week that we'll never go to. Uh, so we praise the Lord that we have the ability to send these folks uh, to do that work. And so as a result of your generous giving, we are able to continue to support them. And the third thing is this, uh, adopt a missionary. We support 10 missionaries now uh, locally and around the world. Uh, plus the Evangelical Free Church that we contribute to. So that would be 11. 
So I encourage you, of course, to pray for each and every one of our missionaries, but I'm asking you uh, to choose one of them, just one who's going to be your special missionary uh, that, that you will adopt as your own special object of your prayers. And you're going to hear from each one of them next week, as I said. And after you do, you're going to know their specific needs and their specific challenges. And so as you listen to the videos next week, just say, that one really struck a chord with me. That's going to be the missionary that I choose, that I adopt as my particular person to pray for uh, in this upcoming year. So we give them financial support. I'm not asking you to send them money or anything. We, we give them already. But uh, if they knew that you were praying for them, and if you let them know by notes and, and special encouragement, and we can give you contact information so you can do that, I know it would really mean a lot uh, to each of them. So we just want to commit to praying for their needs over the course of this coming year. Uh, and I know that they'll appreciate it. Well, why do we support missions? Why is evangelism so important? It's because they will not believe and they will not be saved unless a messenger goes proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified, dead, and buried, and yet risen from the grave, uh, alive and powerful to save us from the penalty of our sins. It's a message that the world needs to hear, and it's our great commission from the Lord Jesus to do it, so it's our duty to do that. And so we thank the Lord that he has given us the ability to do it, and we thank the Lord that he's given us provision to commission our missionaries around the world and locally to do it as well. Let's pray. Lord God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is just such an amazing thing. And it's so tragic that people live among us and don't know it, haven't heard it, don't believe it. Lord, we pray for changed hearts. We pray for revival in this country. And we pray that it begins with us. We pray that it begins with the missionaries we support. Lord, we pray that you will do such an amazing work in this country and around the world, regenerating hearts, calling people back to you, helping them to believe the gospel and be saved. And Lord, uh, the cure for all of our social ills is not governmental programs, it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we have that, Lord, there's no stopping us. And Lord, we pray for it. We thank you for the death of your son on the cross. We thank you for his resurrection. And we thank you for the saving faith that we have. Lord, we love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.